Well, hey, and welcome to episode 13 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Krismer, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, on today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we talk pretty exclusively about faith. We talk about the markers of a life lived faithfully, and we also talk about what we consider to be the blocking and tackling of our faith. As always, if you have any questions about Sunday's message, we hope that you join us at quadcity.church/romans, where you could submit those questions to be answered right here on the podcast. Without further ado, we hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, happy Monday. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? Feeling well-rested after a long weekend? Yeah. Uh I think so. It's cold. Man, it's really cold when I woke up this morning. (laughs) Yeah. I got the big jacket out today. (laughs) Pulled out the puppy. So I walked in following Josh today, and I could just see him shivering. And (laughs) he talks about growing up in Arizona, and I just made the comment today, hey, that you didn't have this when you were growing up down there in the valley, did you? And it's windy again. Our, and just up by our office doors, that wind cuts through that little opening. Yeah, It just beats you down. <laughs> you know what? I was telling Jason this last night, but the wind on Saturday was insane. It was awful. So we, um, a, a buddy and I, were out in the Granite Mountain Wilderness area doing some climbing. And um, it's one of those things. We were hiking in, hiked through Granite Basin. It was fine, not super windy by any means. We started early to try to beat the wind because we knew it would be pretty rough in the afternoon. But we get up 150 feet up on this climb, and and it's just like almost literally blowing us off the wall. Like there were moments where I lost my balance because I was just getting blown around by the wind. I couldn't hear each other. Like it was it was a mess up on this wall. Yeah, we were at a football game at Prescott High School. Uh, it was pretty windy, and I remember there was a couple other people there. And I was like, I thought this was only in the springtime. What mm-hmm. you lied to me, Jason? No, you this is rare. This you is lied rare. to me. <laughs> It is a weird, weird October. Yeah, lot, lot, a big running game then, probably. Uh, not, not many yeah. passes. My, my son just FYI did catch a pass, like falling out of bounds, got both feet down, nice. like as the time expired, going into halftime. It was pretty. It was pretty cool for him. He hasn't played a ton this year, but so he he made an incredible grab. Like, I think he may have the best hands on the team. I don't know. There you go. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. <Your> bias. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, hey, let's let's dig in. Uh, so from Sunday, Jason, you shared this story, and I figured we could just spend some time talking about the other side of this story this morning. So the story that you shared was your heroic moment <laughs> moving through the Flagstaff Extreme Ropes That's course right. at 50 feet off the ground, yeah, passing people. And, uh, uh, there were moments where we were 50 feet off the deck. Okay, maybe. Yeah, for sure. And up in those big old Ponderosa Pines. Yeah. Um, so what else, what else stood out to you? All three of us were there. So yeah. there were a couple of things that like, I enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun for me. I obviously chose it being the staff thing, but, yeah. uh, what else stood out? He cheated. Remember that? I, <laughs> well, I lied. Hold on. Cheat's probably the wrong word. He, he saw an obstacle and he went, well, this, I think is the easiest way to get through this. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. And then everyone else was, the lady was like, no, no, you can't do it that way. And Jason's like, well, that's what I did. Because <laughs> you were like, so the whole thing, just to set set some context, <clears throat> what you have is you've got like your two daisy chains is what they're called. The two things you hook into all the all the cables. 
But then also you've got a zip, like a zip line mechanism on your harness or whatever it was. I can't remember exactly where it was. It was maybe on the belay loop. And you were using the zip line on things that weren't actually zip lines. Is that what I remember? Yes. So you have the cable that's over your head. All right. So there's one cable that's over your head and that's the safety cable. So you always are hooked into that just in case you lose your balance on the obstacle and you fall off that cable over your head keeps you from falling down to the ground. And so you're supposed to climb across the obstacle or whatever the thing is underneath you. Well, this one specifically was pretty challenging. And I don't know, it had like little bitty steps on strings and you're supposed to step on these strings and they're flying everywhere. And I looked at that and I thought, yeah, this, my arms and shoulders and forearms were so tired at this because you're doing a lot of hanging, just holding your weight as you're going across many of these obstacles. So I just took one of my hooks and slapped it up on top of that safety wire above me and essentially used it as a zip line across this obstacle instead of actually putting my feet on the little things that I was supposed to. So that, but it only happened once. And yes, I did cheat on that one. You got it done. I did. That's Hey, I, it works smarter, not harder. Yeah. You know, the one thing I do remember from it um, was Colin. <laughs> For any of you who know our student pastor, he he just complained the entire time. He did it. And, he, he and made, I think he had fun. He did have fun, but he was just, he was so curmudgeon like a <laughs> like an 80-year-old the whole time, yelling, <laughs> mad, but it, in a fun way, right? Yeah. Definitely did. It made the... It made the experience better. That's what stands out in my mind is him yelling at Jason multiple times, I think, in Brenda. <laughs> oh, yeah. As he was doing the course. Like, yep. He did the whole thing. So yep. what I remember is, I, okay, so again, I was in the very back, and it was <laughs> me and Amy and Tyler. And for those of you in Prescott Valley, you probably know Amy. She runs our uh, children's ministry out there and uh, communications and joined our team. She was pretty new on the team at that point. And she's a tiny little thing. And just watching her go through this course and Tyler was like the big brother walking along with her the whole time. And that was just great. So, but they were slow. So they were part of the reason that, cause I just went last and I was yeah. trying to follow them. I'm like, okay, this is going to take forever. And it did, but she finished it. And I was so proud of her and Tyler encouraging her along the way. I mean, it's, it was just that was a fun part for me. So and it yeah. was kind of a team building thing. Yeah, yeah. And the one person on the team, Ken, just left everybody. <laughs> That's like, right. You remember that? Finally, he caught oh, yeah. up with another group of people. <laughs> but it was like, here's everyone else kind of staying together. Brendan was kind of in the front, but he wasn't going by nearly as fast. I'm sure as he could. He was kind of hanging out, helping everyone, just chatting. Everybody's laughing. Ken is like gone. Yeah. He like put yeah, his yeah. head down and didn't talk to anyone and just left. He just finished. In the He's thing. like, I'm going to get done. Well, and Ken, here's the funny thing about Ken. He does not like heights. Like Ken is not a heights guy. So there were a couple of moments on there where he was a little, uh, he was a little shook just trying to figure out the heights thing. So I think that was part of the plan was like, I oh, just put my head down, keep grinding. Don't have to deal with the heights. There were a couple of moments for me that I thought were really fun. Um, the first was I was with, our resident, our leadership resident, uh, Corey, right? So I'm hanging out with Corey Heward. He had just joined the team, I think. Like, he was pretty fresh to the team. And uh, what some of you might not know is Corey played college football. So he went, when he went to Bible college, he went to a school that he played football at, I think for all four years, if I remember right. 
So I'm sitting there with Corey and I'm just kind of egging him on a little bit because I'm like, dude, you, you've been working out for football. What, what are you doing? This shouldn't be hard for you. So I'm just sitting there egging him on the entire time. And he did great. He, he crushed it. Uh, but then there was a moment after Jason had passed, uh, passed Amy and Tyler. He was kind of working his way up, past, passing people and passing people. And I was sitting there behind a few people, behind Ken and Austin, our, our worship pastor, some other people. Corey was with us. And, and then Jason comes up behind us. I'm like, well, uh, I can't let this happen. <laughs> so then it was like, ah, I got to start moving. This is an old guy coming up behind me. So, ah, I got to get moving. So that, at that point, like I caught up to Ken and him and I were up there and, and then I slowed down again. But it was, I had a lot of fun. I thought it was a blast. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the injury that happened, Jason? Uh, well, and how it fits into your story of faith? Well, we can if we, if we want to jump that far ahead. Are we ready for that? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's jump in. So we talked about faith this weekend. And there was a part of the story that I did leave out at the very end. Um, that if I had more time, I would have, I think, works into our faith story. So as I'm standing there on the platform, right? And I talked about that four-foot length of rope that's coming out of that belay. And I clipped it in. And the, the, the problem is you step off, right? And again, the, the belay only activates when you fall. And, and I know it's going to work. Like I said, there's not a pile of bodies at the bottom of this thing because it fails. That's not how this works. So I know it's going to work, but there's still something in me. And I think in most of us in our faith journey that wants to have some semblance of control. And so I'm sitting there and I lock this thing in and I, you know, kind of do the sign of the cross across my body here as I take the plunge off the thing. But when I do, I, for whatever reason, I, I want to go, I want to grab that rope as I'm falling. And so I did. I put my hands up on that rope, which then put slack between that rope and my harness. And so I jump off and I'm kind of holding onto that rope. And when that thing, I start to fall and it falls and it's, and it activates and it begins to decelerate me Well, that slack between where my hands were and my harness went away and my hand just starts going down that rope right over top of the carabiner that I had clipped in on and filleted my pinky as I was going down. And I thought that is such a picture of us that, yes, I took the step of faith and there was nothing I could do at that point, but, that, but I felt like I could do something. If I could just hold on to this rope, then I'll be in control. And it ends up hurting me in the end. And I think that's a great picture of so many of us when we're trying to take these steps of faith, but we don't actually give up all of the control and we want to have some of that control and it ends up harming us in the end. And I think it fits into the story of Abraham too, as we'll talk a little bit more about uh, this coming week of, yes, we take the step of faith but we still want control. We still want to hang on as if somehow uh, we have the ability to, to save ourselves. Like if that harness broke or that rope didn't, or the, I'm sorry, the box didn't work or the harness broke, my hand on that rope is not going to save me. I'm, I mean, my hand strength isn't that much. I'm still going down at that point. <laughs> Even doesn't matter. Um, but there's something in me that thinks I should or could and, it, it just ends up causing more damage in the end. So luckily, Amy was with us, and she 
for those of you who didn't know, we hired her away from the emergency room. So she was a tech at the hospital and carried with her a medical bag and got all excited about uh, scrubbing out the wound on my hand back at the Airbnb. So And it did she, not get infected. It did not get infected. And she, so she brought was, that up again, like, hey, it worked, right? It did. She got yeah. in there, though. She did. I it remember was like a the... Brillo pad in that <laughs> finger, but she she was enjoying that. But it was oh, good. Oh, man. You know, when we talk about faith, you know, I, I, and I'm going to ask you guys this question because I'm sure you get this, um, pastors, obviously people talking to you about faith. What does that role, and it, it made me think of when you were talking about the story, not that you doubted the, the role, but you kind of doubted because you yeah, grabbed it. Right. What role does doubt play into with faith, right? Like, kind of growing up, there was this weird thing of like, you can't ever doubt anything. And I was like, I don't know how helpful that is to say that. So I think people wonder like, oh, I don't have faith because I do doubt. I did grab the rope. So mm-hmm. I must, I didn't believe, yeah. right? So what role do you guys, or if somebody asked you, hey, what does doubt play into my faith? What, how do you guys usually respond? Uh, my response is there is no room for faith unless there's room for doubt. Mm-hmm. In other words, you know, the scripture says uh, that we walk by faith and not by sight. The only thing that's going to remove doubt ultimately is us seeing. Like seeing is believing. There'll be a day, Scripture says, the sky is going to split. Jesus is coming back. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. We will see him, and there will not be an ounce of doubt to anyone who on the planet that Jesus is king. Like nobody will doubt it at that moment. But until then, there is this gap between what we see and the reality of who Jesus is. So there's this gap in between those things. And we're either going to fill that gap with faith or doubt. But if you remove that gap altogether to whereby there is no place for doubt, then there is no place for faith. And that actually doesn't honor God because Hebrews teaches us without faith, you cannot please God. And so the Satan doesn't doubt, but he also doesn't have faith. And so he has Satan has no doubt that Jesus is the Son of God, but there is no, there, he's never doubted that for a moment, but there's no room for faith. He sees it. He knows it. For us, there is room for faith, mm-hmm. and, which means there is room for doubt. Um, the thing for us, we just have to make sure that we're consistently replacing our doubt with our faith. I, I say it this way, that we have to believe our beliefs and doubt our doubts. We always mm-hmm. go the other way. We want to doubt our beliefs and believe our doubts. Mm. And so good. I say just flip them. we got to believe our beliefs and doubt our doubts. Um, yeah. But as long as there's room for faith, there's always room for doubt. Yeah, that's 100%. It. And this, it makes me think of something, Jason, that I think you've probably just like pounded into my memory for some reason. I've heard you say this maybe a half dozen times. Uh, but also, so, right, it makes me think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? There's this dichotomy that's created, this this binary thinking that's created in, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And the text is, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to me, and I will make your path straight. Submit to him, and he will make your path straight, right? So what, what happens in the first part of this text in verse 5 is it creates these two options in which we get to choose from. We can trust the Lord. Or we can lean on our own understanding, right? We can be faithful or we can 
faithful to God, or we can be faithful to our own doubts, our own, our own thoughts, our own opinions, right? So, and that's the thing I love about this text is it gives us this really, really crystal clear choice. Like we are always making this choice. Anytime we're acting in obedience, we're making this choice. Anytime we're saying no to sin and yes to Jesus, we're making this choice. We're putting our trust and faith in him rather than uh, the thing that might seem good to us, the thing that might feel good to us, look good to us in that moment. Uh, and I think the same thinking can be applied to this idea of, uh, of faith and doubt. Like we will always have this choice, right? Here on earth, we'll have the choice to make. And it's a choice that I, I, I'm grateful for, right? If, it was, if we were already in this place of glory where we had no option to doubt, then what would be the strength of our faith to begin with, hmm. um, right? We wouldn't have that sanctifying work. Um, so it just made me think of that text, and it's a, a text, again, like our son. It was the first text that Porter ever memorized. He, he's recited it at like three and a half years old, and it just is that thing that I want to pound into his brain. It's like, hey, we always have this choice. We can always either trust in the Lord, or we can always either lean on our under, understanding, and we, we really need to work hard to shy on the side of, of really trusting him uh, mm. with our actions and decisions. It's good, really good. So then let's talk a little bit. Really, you know, the message— what we did, Jason, what you did a really great job of and really the the desired outcome from Sunday is, hey, let's get a really, really crystal clear definition and picture on this idea of faith. What does faith look like? And you tackled that um, from like a definition standpoint. Hey, let's just get a crystal clear picture of what this looks like. What I want to do today is take a step deeper and look at some of the the markers of living a faithful life like in the lives of the people around you that you would consider faithful, what are the attributes? That's what I want to spend some time on, on talking about today. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. The <clears throat> What I talked about this week was kind of that initial act of faith, that stepping off the platform, the releasing of control of my salvation from myself to Jesus. So that was the first step. And what I think I hear you asking is, what's the next step? Well, how do you know you're doing that moving forward that you continue there? Or maybe even, so I agree it is the first step, but I think it's the constant step. Like, right, every time. So it's this choice. We have this choice to either trust in the Lord or or lean on our own understanding. Every time we make the choice to trust in the Lord, to, to be obedient to what he says, like every time we do that, it's faith. So it's almost like that. What does it look like in the lives of people who have made that their constant choice? Like they're choosing over and over again to be faithful. Well, two things that pop into my head. Um, the the first one would be it always faith always requires action, and I think that's that's the big thing I was trying to get to when I'm talking about. Yeah, it's easy for me to say I have faith in the black box while I'm standing on the platform. Faith always requires action. The old um, the the illustration that I heard a lot going up is somebody would pull up a chair and say, "Do you believe this chair could hold you?" Yes, I believe it could hold me. Well, how do you how do you activate that faith? Well, you got to sit down. You got to put all of your weight on the chair, and so that's the. It always requires action. Faith is not just believing something; it is doing something. Um, and so, when we think about faith, the main text that people go to when you're talking about faith is Hebrews chapter 11. So in Hebrews 11, it is this picture of faith. We call it the great hall of faith, the hall of fame of faith. And so in Hebrews 11, 
it, we get a definition there, right? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So we get that little bit of a definition. But the definition is given to us through story after story after story of all of these people who acted on faith. And so you can just go through that text and it tells us in every one of these people's lives, whether it's Adam or Noah or Enoch or Abraham, you've got all of these people and every one of them, as you look through, it it talks about something that they did. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark. So his faith, uh, as we talked about it this week, he didn't just believe in God, he believed God. God said, there's gonna be a flood and gave him some instructions and Noah believed God and and went and built the ark. Uh, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would receive as an inheritance, but we didn't know where he was going, He went, verse 9, by faith he made his home in the promised land. So God said, I'm going to give you this land. And he went, he left, he followed him. So that that faith that he had caused him to go do something. And you can go through all of these texts and and see that. Uh, Verse 23, by faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. So again, They did something. So faith always requires us to go do something. It is because we believe God, we believe what God says, it makes us go do something. So I think one of the biggest markers, I would say, is that we're always moving in the direction of obedience, that we're actually going to do something because we believe God. So that'd be the first major marker I would think of. Yeah, what was the second one? What were you going to say, number two? The second one is just perseverance. It's just not quitting. Um, so the, the, you know that you're having faith by not giving up. And so you just keep moving forward. Perseverance is a requirement of faith all throughout, uh, scripture, uh, especially in the book of Hebrews over and over. I mean, the whole premise of the book of Hebrews is don't give up, don't give up, don't quit, don't quit. Um, and so that's the second biggest marker of faith. Faith, uh, keeps moving forward. It keeps, even in hard times, it doesn't quit. Um, so that's how you know you have faith. <clears throat> I thought of a couple things, um, especially when you were teaching and you're talking about the trust fall and you were talking about it in the, <clears throat> you're on the table and you look out and you know that they're there. You see them, right? I think so many times it, it again, faith is this, we we clearly haven't gotten to see Jesus yet. Right. You know, John, the, the gospel of John talks about Thomas, right? Thomas, blessed are you because you've seen, but how much more blessed for those who have not seen, right? And then he says, at the end, all of this stuff is written so that you will believe in the name of Jesus and therefore will have life, right? So John is a picture. He wrote his whole gospel so that we would see what Jesus has done so that we would believe. But but I, so I do have some vision of it. Yeah, I haven't seen him like they saw him. I didn't get to touch like Thomas, but I have seen um, there's a book uh, read last year. Uh, I think actually our elders, you guys are reading it right now, uh, The Live No Lies by mm-hmm. John Mark Com- Comer. Mm-hmm. He talks about the early century, uh, right after Jesus, the church fathers is what he calls them, and and how they had like a knowledge and a belief of God. It wasn't a blind leap off the thing. Like they knew, like they they did use their brain. It, it, it was anchored in that, right? It's not 
just the blind lead. Like there is some, I actually know that what God's word is saying, it's given me a picture of who God is. And I, and I love that for me, like at least intellectually, it does help me remember that my brain does get to play a part of this. Like I do get to read this and know this and form things in it, but there is a step of, I still got to jump. Mm-hmm. I still do have to step. I know it's there. I know those people are going to catch me in the, which is always funny when you're doing the trust fall. I was thinking like, everybody's like, oh, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to be his trust fall partner. <laughs> you know what I'm like? Um, but I, that's what I think of. And I'm like, no, I get to engage my brain on this. And the second thing I was thinking when you were preaching is when you talked about Abraham and you said, hey, look up in the sky and count the stars. Um, it instantly took me back. I had an opportunity to go to India on a mission trip for a couple of weeks. Uh, I think uh, 2010 maybe is when I uh, got to go. Um, I was, uh, me and a couple other people, and we were out one night. We had been out all day uh, kind of traveling and preaching and teaching and doing all these kind of things. So we're heading back to where we were staying, and we pulled over on the side of the road. And if you're not in like Delhi or some other major cities, there's not a ton of electricity. And I remember we got out and it was dark and I got, and I, we, we look up into the sky and it is the most stars I've ever seen in my life. I felt like I could grab them. Hmm. Like I could actually reach up there and pull them to me. And then I started thinking about this. So me and Jason had the opportunity to come from the same hometown. Some of you guys know that we we grew up in the same church um, and there's people who have never left Harrodsburg. That's just what happens, right? They don't leave Harrodsburg. But they, by their faith, decided to build an auditorium that had a gym. And in seventh grade, some kid went to this gym to play basketball and fell in love with Jesus. And that's me. And I literally have been around the world telling people about Jesus because of the faith of farmers and factory workers. Mm-hmm. Like they leverage their faith for the good of others. I think that's, for me, that's how I look at my faith. When I say like, what, when I have faith in Jesus, what am I leveraging so that those behind me or ahead of me, wherever they are, can maybe do more than even I've been able to do? Because that's, that's my journey. Again, this group of people who decided to put basketball goals up and tear down and have a portable stage, it wasn't the prettiest auditorium sanctuary no. ever, right? But that's why I went to church. And it was in that place, again, that, man, I fell in love with Jesus, right? Again, so I, that's how I look at faith. That's one of the markers for me of, like, what am I doing and passing down because my faith has entrusted me with all of these things? Well, I've got to use that for other people. Yeah, that's so good, too. What, what came to mind for me was this a term that was coined maybe by Tim Dunsing, one of our elders. That's who I can remember saying it first to me. And it's this term like the blocking and tackling of faith. And I, he used it mostly in within the context of CTO, called to obedience. It's the the personal disciple, one of the personal discipleship tools uh, that we use. And it, it drives home this idea of, um, right, like repentance and confession. And it really drives home this forgiveness uh, idea. And he, he says like, man, forgiveness is like the blocking and tackling of faith. But when I think of it, I think like any obedience, right? Forgiveness is an obedience. Like it's it's us saying yes to something that was really, really important to Jesus. And, and he shared with us that it was really important, will be really important for us. And I think like to Jason's point, it's this, this perseverance of obedience. It's just saying yes to Jesus over and over and over again. And I, I love the imagery of the blocking and tackling 
because it's like the the less than glory glorified grind of football, right? Like blocking and tackling, like ah, some people get recognized for it, but it's not like uh, you. It was I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Josh likes the blocking because I want to set others up to win. One hundred percent. But it's not like like the it's not the pick six. It's not the the catching the eighty yard touchdown, right? Like it's not the thing that's on the highlight reel, but it is the thing that if you do it every single time, you're going to be winning the games. So I just love that imagery of like, oh, we're just grinding out this this perseverance of obedience, just trying to say yes to Jesus at, at day after day after day. And again, I think there's all sorts of markers of someone who lives a life like that. I think they're more merciful. Merciful. I think you see grace in their life a little bit more frequently. I think their relationships are a little more fulfilling for those around them, right? I think there's things that we see that are positive byproducts of living living those lives. Um, but it's just that grind of how oh, we're just saying yes. We're saying yes when we don't want to, especially when we don't want to, right? We're just continuing to say yes. So. And that's one of our things, right? Sorry, I was going to say, it's not one of our things that you say all the time, Jason. It's it's not obedience. It's not just, or what is it? Um, we obey even when we don't believe. Yeah. And probably that's even more so, right? Yeah. That's really when we actually are being really obedient, when we don't believe, right? But I'm still going to do the thing because Jesus has said, do the thing. Because of Proverbs 3, 5, I'm not going to trust my own understanding. I'm going to trust in the Lord. And so, yes, I, I obey, especially when I don't believe, because then I it is me fully having to trust the Lord instead of leaning on my own understanding. Mm-hmm. Let me throw one more out there. I think a great marker of a person of faith, and again, this is something we talk about a lot, is humility. Because mm-hmm. it goes back to what we learned just last week. Where is the boasting? Like if we truly, if we're actually walking by faith, where we understand that we just, all we did was step off the platform. We did not have any ability to keep ourselves from plunging down into the depths and being mangled at the bottom of the tree. We All we did was trust in the little black box. We just stepped off the platform. I didn't have anything to do with saving myself. Jesus saved me. And so there is no boasting. So a marker of faith is recognizing I have nothing to boast about. I have, I have nothing to offer up for any accolades or praise. All I did was clipped into the promise of who Jesus is, and he did all of the work. Uh, I tried to do some stuff and end up hurting myself, but he did all of the work. And so this idea of just being humble, people who get grace, who get that Jesus did it all, they are humble people. You can't offend them um, in the long term. They just understand, I have nothing to boast about. Everything that I have is because of Jesus. So I think that would be another big marker of faith. Right, and that's good because that pushes directly back against um, essentially the argument that Paul makes, right? Like, Uh, do we nullify the law by this? No, of course not. Like we're humble in the fact that we understand that Jesus is our salvation, right? It it rests solely on his shoulders. I think another aspect too of faith, we didn't get to talk about it, but as I've studied through this, as we do all of our pre-planning, you know, he goes back to Abraham, who is the father of the faith. Now, all of these people are in now the covenant promises of God. It's a big group, right? A huge group. And talking about how it's your faith that now makes you believe in that or belong to that. And so I'm, I'm thinking of Romans and he's sitting there talking to Gentiles and he's talking to, uh, to Jewish people and he's looking at them saying, now all of you are one. You're one family. Like they've been kind of fighting and it seems like there's some arguing. He's like, no, no, no. You don't understand that one faith, that act of believing and trusting in Jesus brings you in together, right? You now belong to the family of God. So for me, 
you know, church is so much bigger than just Sunday. It's my family that I belong to, right? There's a value to it because God has promised me so many things. If I trust in him and follow him, I enter into this family. So for me, believing is this piece of now I belong to something greater. So I get so frustrated when people talk about like, oh, I don't got to go to church. Like, I don't got to do the thing. I don't got to spend time with the family. Like, I'm like, man, I don't, I think you're missing the picture. Like our believing in this unites us together with people across so many different realms of life. And there's so much value in that, right? And and we get to be a part of it. Like my faith has, again, brought me to this place. And now I've encountered people who have spurred on my faith in ways I never would have gotten to experience because I actually belong to the family of God, right? The promise that he gave Abraham so long ago. Mm-hmm. So for me too, that's a huge marker. Again, just with me personally, is like the value of seeing that, right? My faith isn't just my own. Like it's, it is attached to so many other people. Yeah, it is communal. Yeah. yeah we lose that in our independent American mindset that there's a very communal act of faith. Yeah. yeah. So well, important. and to your point, Josh, your frustration is on those who don't quite understand the benefit of, of the church to where my frustration probably lies on those who pervert the blessing that is the church, mm. right? Like people in positions like ours, yeah. people that abuse others within the church setting, right? People that are not humble and not uh, incredibly prideful. Like that's the thing that gets under my skin is like, oh, we are perverting the blessing of God, the blessing that he's given us in each other, this community of believers, right? That just drives me nuts. So I think there can be frustration on both sides. Oh yeah, 100%. Because of the misunderstanding of like, oh, this is this is a community of people that we've been given and it should bless us. So, all right. Well, that was concise. I like that. We pretty much just talked about the markers of faith in, in our lives. So anything else, uh, Jason, as we're leaning into this next week coming up? Well, I think... The one thing that, just as an encouragement for those of you who are, who have feel like you've clipped into this promise that God's given you, and you're wondering when is it going to come to pass? Like you mm. feel like God's got, not that He owes you something, but there's, but there's a promise in Scripture, and it just hasn't seemed to happen for you yet. I, I think it is just important to remember that between the time that Abraham got the promise of God. And he saw it fulfilled in the birth of his son. It was something like 25 years. So he kept showing up and he kept being faithful in the midst of that. So that's part of us walking by faith and not by sight is we're just going to keep doing the blocking and tackling. We're going to keep trusting and God said it, it'll come to pass. May not happen today, may not happen tomorrow, may not happen next week. But if God said it, it is going to happen. And so I'm going to keep walking by faith until his promises come to pass. And so we'll talk a little bit more about some of the promises of God here in the next couple of weeks. But I just want to encourage everyone that, look, there is there was a gap for Abraham. And it was a 20-something year gap. Um, and he had some ups and downs along the way. And we'll talk about those a little bit. Um, but his faith remained. Uh, throughout the whole thing, even though there were some ups and downs. And God did fulfill his promise, even though it was 20 years later. So um, I think just want to encourage somebody out there today who's listening and you're wondering why God hasn't done the thing that that he promised you he was going to do. So um, be patient. God is faithful. He will do what he promises to do. And even that, so God tells Abraham, I'm going to give you this land to your 
you, you and your, your kinfolk. I was reading the end of Deuteronomy this morning. So Moses is literally looking over into the promised land finally and seeing all this is yours that I promised I would give to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You're finally about to take it. You know, Joshua begins and they finally get into the promised land. How long was that from Abraham to that point? Yeah. Like we're talking, it was 400 years of slavery. So you yeah. back up even further. I mean, it was hundreds of years yeah. of waiting for God to fulfill the promise, right? And they're probably like, yeah, you all have been saying, because they just told this story all the time. But God always, when you read the Old Testament, it's like, no, the land I promised, because he doesn't want his people to forget. I said I was going to do this and I did it. And we were kind of talking about this morning before we jumped on, just this aspect of God in time. Right, and it kind of fits into that, right? What we would think the promise is, oh, what's well, tomorrow? Because I tell my kids, I'm, oh, I'll do that for you, and then they're like, I'm like, oh yeah, I got to do that for you, right? But that's not how God works, right? That's what Brendan was talking about, which is a really good, even talking through this. Oh yeah, yeah, and really, just the whole thing is like, who, who cares about time? Us. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah that's pretty much just us. So. Yeah, God is outside of time. He's, right. not, he's not on our timetable. Yeah. yeah, but we think he is, and so it messes up because it's we to be. Yeah. We yeah. want him to be. Yeah, yeah, that's all we know. And then it messes up our belief in promises. Like, yeah. well, God said he was going to do this thing. And it's like, well, yeah, he did. And he's still got eternity to make it happen Yeah, in a way, right? And so we, yeah. it, but it does. And so it's always great. Again, the stories in the Old Testament are that reminder of, hey, don't forget, I said this thing all the way back to Abraham. And it, it just helps your mind jar back to go, that's right. He did promise this. And look, he is, it's coming to fruition. He's, he said he was going to do it, and he did it. And along the way, we know the people of Israel, there was wandering, there was missteps, there was all this stuff. But he said, if you just, I'm going to be faithful. Mm-hmm. Don't you worry about this. I will be, you, you're not going to be, but because of who I am, I will remain faithful. And so it just helps me, those, that old covenant helps me go, yeah, God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Mm-hmm. When I read those stories, it's, it's so impactful. Like you said, there are people who are wondering, well, Jason, I've, I've been faithful. I've done what I've you said to do. I've I've been studying the Romans. I'm letting these things go. I'm doing all this stuff. It's not working. Yeah, in a way. And you're like, it is. Yes, it, it is. It for sure is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's really good. All right. Well, thanks, guys. We'll uh, we'll be back next week and be chatting again real soon. Amen. Well, thank you so much again for joining us today. We hope this conversation was helpful uh, in you understanding our message from Sunday, as well as taking you a step deeper into obedience to Jesus. For additional resources or to submit any questions to be answered right here on the podcast, please join us at quadcity.church/romans. We hope you have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you again next time.